Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me. I am so glad to share this time with you today. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people, concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. And I want to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can always get the next episode. So let's turn our attention to this week's message. For many years... Monterey, a California coast town, was a pelican's paradise. As the fishermen cleaned their fish, they flung the scraps to the pelicans. The birds grew fat and lazy and contented from eating all those scraps, and eventually, something changed. The scraps were utilized in a different way, and there were no longer scraps being thrown out for the pelicans to eat. And when that change came... Something happened, or at least something didn't happen. The pelicans made no effort to fish for themselves. They waded around, and they grew gaunt and thin, and many of them starved to death. They had forgotten how to fish for themselves. The problem was solved by importing new pelicans from the south, birds accustomed to foraging for themselves. They were placed among their starving cousins, and the newcomers immediately started catching fish, and before long, the hungry pelicans followed suit, and the famine was ended. A terrible problem, and a simple solution. Introduce some newcomers to remind the pelicans of what they are to do and who they are to be. And I would propose that the Christian is to live a holy life as a witness to show others the life they are really meant for and who they are really meant to be before God. As I've mentioned all month, this year at Valley View Friends Church, in our main worship service and our main teaching, so these podcasts, I want to take extra time to examine a particular trait of God. It is what He is and what He asks of us, and that trait is holy. The topic of holy will be a part of each teaching this year. That is to say, whatever the topic is that we're going to talk about, the holiness of God and the holiness of His people will be an important part of the lesson. Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series talking about forgiveness, and we're going to be looking at forgiveness for four weeks, and forgiveness is really the key that unlocks holiness. Because without forgiveness, we cannot enter into the holy presence of God. And without the practice of forgiveness, holiness cannot grow in your own life. So all this year, I want us to examine holy and holiness. And I want us to think of holy in three dimensions. And we've talked about this already. The three dimensions I want us to really think about are, we encounter a holy God, We are to become a holy people, and we are to be holy to help others see God. So, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about those three dimensions. We began by talking about the holiness of God, and in the language of the Bible, the Greek language in the New Testament, uh, the word for holy is hagios. It means to be different, to be unlike others. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. And it means separateness, to be set apart. Also, it means to be heavy, as in to be of substance and real. That is to say, God is reality. And like we talked about a couple weeks ago, He is unique and separate from everything else. And the more we understand God's holiness, 
each glimpse of his holiness that we can catch, it should make us hunger for more. Last week, I spoke about how you and I were made to be holy. Humans were made to be set apart for a relationship with God, to honor Him, to be near Him. I shared two quotes from Eugene Peterson that helped us understand what holiness is for the Christian. The first one was this, Holiness is the lifelong process by which our hearts and minds and bodies are conformed to Christ. The second quote I shared is a little bit more pointed. It says this, Holiness is the cultivated habit of responding to God's word instead of fitting into the world's program. I believe our part in holiness is really about surrender. The surrender of our preferences, of our authority, of our instinct about what I think is right, about what you think is right, and saying God knows what is right. This week... I want us to examine that third dimension of holiness, that a holy life helps others see God. Now, the text I have for you today is a very short and simple one, and it's very direct about the witnessing role of holiness. It comes from 1 Peter. Now, Peter, he's writing to early Christians, and he's chiefly concerned with them understanding that they are the people of God, that they are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and that they need to act accordingly. Holiness is really a major part of 1 Peter. He basically says holy living is the calling of the Christian, and by it, we can bear witness to the whole world. Let's read our text today. It's just one verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, and it goes like this. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. It's a short verse. But it's a powerful call to live. You need to hear this. I love that the NIV in particular uh, captures the beginning of that verse with the word live. Be full of life. It is a shame that so many people believe that the Christian life is a dull obedience. That's one of the great lies of the devil, that we should see religion as stuffy and rigid and that excitement is only really found in sin. So many people see the world that way. In our busy world today, it seems like many of us are just existing as opposed to living. Have you ever felt like you're just spending time, letting it pass? You just work on your job or work at home or work at school or that life is a series of going through the motions. It's we're doing a lot, but we're not living. Peter tells us that God's plan is that we live, live with vibrancy, pleasure, meaning, purpose, and gratitude, and this sort of living can only happen through Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that word live, and the NIV really captures the New International Version of the Bible, really starts with live such good lives. But if you look at it in Greek, you don't find the word you might expect. The word in Greek here is echo which doesn't typically translate as live, but instead to possess, to have. The Christian 
basically is what we're being told here is to possess a certain type of life. It's not just behaviors that we're to have, but a vibrant life that we're to have. And this morning, I want to talk about this life that we are to possess. So Peter says quite simply, what kind of life the believer possesses? Live such good lives. We're going to look at the what for a moment here. There's an air of morality behind those words, but also live such effective, such productive, such good lives, lives that are meaningful. There's, there's a substance to the phrase rather than just behaviors. The Christian is to engage in holy living. That's what we are to do. This life is a witness to every person around you. Charles Spurgeon says this, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. Our actions matter. The way we live matters. We can say all the right things about Jesus, but we are to live such good lives. Now, if you're like me, (laughs) you know it's easier to, well, know the right way to live rather than to do it. So, how do you and I live such good lives? And we need to look at the how for a moment. How do we live such a good life? Well, it's going to be built around the power of God. It's going to be Holy Spirit governed. You and I cannot live a holy life on our own. Salvation begins in Christ. Holiness also begins with Jesus, and then he has given us the Holy Spirit to work holiness into us. The fruit of the Spirit is a famous passage of Scripture. It comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. You may have heard it before. It reads like this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is not grown in your life by you deciding to be more peaceful or kind or self-controlled. It grows as you and I surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit and we let Him grow holiness in our lives. So holiness, how do we how do we live such good lives? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We also live such good lives when we prioritize prayer. Earlier this week, I was looking for an article or looking for some uh, other people's thoughts on the connection between holiness and witness, and I ran across an article um, by Dr. Luke Kiefer. He was actually one of my professors in seminary. It was interesting to find this article, and He writes about how prayer must be prioritized, and he says, We will need to be intentional about the practice of prayer, for if prayer is not made a first priority among us, it will not be a priority at all. We know all too well the tyranny of the urgent, how it dominates the agendas of our private lives and those of the church as well. If it's not first priority, it won't be a priority at all, and there is truth in that. So we need prayer in our lives to let holiness be worked out to live such good lives. We also need to be scripture sharp. And that was also from Dr. Kiefer's article. He writes, if our witness today suffers, it is often because our instruments are too blunt. 
The instruments that penetrate are those that are honed to the sharpest edge. Whenever the church has experienced revival within and evangelistic success without, it is because it has been because it's got its message down to the sharp edge of Scripture. Holy living, living such good lives, is done, it's accomplished, when we are honed by Scripture, when we are deep in prayer, and when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Then we need to answer, okay, we're supposed to live such good lives, and that's how we do it, but where do we do it? And Peter makes it very clear that this holy living is to be done in a specific location among the pagans. That is, among those who don't know Jesus. And in the in those days when Peter was written, it was the Greeks, it was the Romans. And I want to remind you, the Greeks and the Romans, they were the sophisticated people. They were the majority. They were the power brokers. They were the ones that had the authority. It's a difficult thing to live against the flow of the crowd, to live in a way that is not popular with the times. But we are to live such good lives, not just among the popular but also among those who are forgotten and fearful and hopeless, among those who can even hurt you. We're to live like that among those who do not know or follow Jesus. And at this point, Peter gives us a little reality check. The non-Christian's default is unpleasant towards the Christian. We need to remember that. Mark Twain writes, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Right? For those who don't know Jesus, they can get pretty frustrated with the church, with Christians. It's okay. We need to realize that they'll at times react with blame. I know before I was a Christian, I did that. They'll accuse a Christian of wrongdoing. That's what Peter really writes about. You might hear someone say, why won't you just get with the program and see things the way everybody else is doing them? Today, the dissident Christian voice that's going against the flow of popular culture is often blamed for the problem instead of the sin nature itself. There are a lot of people who doubt and they blame Christians. There are a lot of people who have anger and grief and bitterness in their lives and that reaction spills out of frustration hearing that there's a good God and that somehow people still suffer. And that's a problem that a lot of people wrestle with, wrestle with. For a lot of people, it's very personal or it's made to become personal. And there's a blindness among those who do not know Jesus. This is not to point fingers or make anybody feel bad. It's just the reality There's a blindness to God, to the transformational power of God at work in a believer's life. We need to just understand that there are going to be times when a non-Christian just doesn't see. And they're going to struggle because of that. But we are still called to live such good lives. And we're going to have to know that when we do live such good lives, there are going to be some people that choose to dump their anger on you for it. So why on earth do we do this? That why is so important. Why do we do it? So they can see. So they can breathe. So they can remember what real life and living looks like. I've got one more excerpt from Dr. Kiefer's article. He, as I mentioned, was a professor uh, for me at seminary of church history. 
And the article is actually about the connection between holiness and witness and the early Methodist church. And so he writes, everyone knew where the Methodist chapels were located. They went to them to mock and to persecute, but they also stole there when their heart pained within them, for they knew where they could find God. That's important. And we should seek to have that said about Valley View. That people know that at Valley View, God can be found. He's found here. Two weeks ago, when I tried to describe the holiness of God, I took us to the story of Moses and talked about him desiring to see God's face. And I want to return to the story of Moses for a moment and look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. And it tells us that eventually after meeting with God, Moses' face would begin to glow. And the text reads like this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands of the Lord that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites, What he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord again. Whenever I read that passage, I am reminded of one of our friend's pastors, Jim Branningham. Um, He has shared with me, and I know with other pastors, more than once, that as pastors, we should study the Bible and seek God so diligently in prayer so that when we preach, congregation can see the glow on our face. I don't know that that always happens in my case, but I hope that it does. But I think the challenge is good for any believer, something we should all take up. Seek God so diligently and so deeply so that when people encounter you, they see the glow on your face of his holy presence. Parents, you want your children to see the glow of God on your face. Christians, you should want your neighbors and co-workers to see the glow of God on your face. Will you diligently seek to meet with God face to face so that people can see the glow? Many years ago, some men were panning for gold in Montana, and one of them found an unusual stone. Breaking it open, he was excited to see that it contained gold. Working eagerly, the men soon discovered an abundance of the precious metal. Happily, they began shouting with delight, "'We found it! We found gold! We're rich!' They had to interrupt their celebrating, though, to go to a nearby town and stock up on supplies. Before they left camp, the men agreed not to tell a soul about their find. Indeed, no one breathed a word about it to anyone while they were in town. Much to their dismay, however, when they were about to return, hundreds of others were prepared to follow them. When they asked the crowd to tell them who squealed, who, who gave it away, the reply came, no one had. Your faces showed it. That should be our goal in our relationship with God, in our holiness with God. People just see it and they hunger for him. I want to read 1 Peter 2.12 one more time as we close. 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So as we end, I want to point out that 1 Peter 2.12 alludes to the return of Christ. But it's not saying that we're to live such good lives so that when Jesus returns, the, the pagans will realize the truth only too late. We live such good lives so that people can see God now and know him now. Then they will be ready when Jesus comes back and they will be able to give God glory. There's a quote. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And, uh, there's debatable whether he said it or not, but it's a good saying. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. That phrase does not let you off the hook with witnessing. It is a call to becoming a holy witness for Jesus. Will you do this? Let's pray. Lord, help us to live such good, holy lives so that everyone around us would give you glory. Transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us courage to live even when those around us would blame us or pressure us to abandon you. Lord, I ask that we would not simply see holiness as behaviors and rule following, but we'd see it as a vibrant life that we were made for. And help others to see that vibrant life on our faces. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.